Well, we are continuing our series called The War. We're on week two. Let's talk about what this is about. We're, we're discussing the spiritual battle, fighting the good fight. And so we'll be going for several weeks talking about this particular topic. And when we introduced the, uh, the series last week, we talked about the, the fact that we fight this battle, the spiritual battle, on two fronts. The first front is the front of eternal life, everlasting life. We call it salvation, being saved from uh, destruction and hell and brought into eternal life and heaven. So that is an important thing. And we looked at Revelation chapter 20, um, verses 11 through 15. So let's look at that. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so it's important to have people's names written in the book of life. Amen? Because some names are in there and a whole bunch of names aren't. And so on December 2nd, some new names can get written in there. Amen? But guess what? Today some new names can get written in there too. You know, there's no reason why people can't uh, give their lives to Christ on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night church service. There's no reason why that can't happen. So, in fact, you can get your name written in the book of life on Tuesday, you know, in the evening. It doesn't matter. But what you have to do is ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Savior means he's the one who died for our sins, brings forgiveness. Lord means he's the guide for our life. And so we put ourselves under God's forgiveness and into God's family and then we walk with God and that brings us into everlasting life our name written in the book of life so you know pray what they call the sinner's prayer which for years as a even as a pastor because I endeavored just to read the Bible and find out what was in there I had no idea what the sinner's prayer was people would talk about it and I was thinking I should know what that is but I have never seen it you know, and so what I found out later was that it's basically, you know how Jesus would say, repent and follow me? It's that, <laughs> repent and follow me, where you ask for forgiveness of sins and then you pledge your life to walk with the Lord. And so that gets your name written in the book of life. How much should we sacrifice to help people get their names written in the book of life? How much should we give for that? But here's the second front that we fight this battle on. And that front is the front of everlasting life now. We are called to fight for and to receive and experience, did I say everlasting life? Abundant life now. We'll give you abundant life today, everlasting life in the age to come. So these can be in tension with each other, right? Because people can be like, oh, I don't want to live a miserable, horrible life for that. I mean, maybe later I'll 
give my life to the Lord. But right now, I'm still young. I don't want to have to live a garbage life. Uh, I'll do that when I'm 60 or, you know, something like that. There can be a tension. But the reality is we're to win on both fronts. Let's go to uh, a scripture in Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. So this is the question. Should we give everything to follow Christ and bring people into the book of life, into everlasting life? Absolutely. Peter did that. He says, we left everything. So what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. In this present age means now. In this life. Jesus is promising a 100-fold return to people in this life of abundant life when we give our lives to follow Christ. So he's saying you don't lose out this life when you turn your life over to serve me, is what Jesus is saying. And, uh, of course, there are martyrs. Amen? There are people who are heavily persecuted in this life because of their faith. And they're not going to have super wonderful experiences. But God will make that right. Because he has the capacity to do that in everlasting life. There will be rewards and benefits for the people who have suffered. However, we live in America in 2016. And here's the reality, as politically incorrect as it is. We have got life as good as any people have ever had in the history of the world or anywhere on this planet right now. We've got it as good as any human being has ever had it. We have more opportunities, more freedoms, more Uh, benefits from society like roads and hospitals and schools and all these wonderful things. We have it as good as anyone has ever had it in the history of the world. Amen? There you go. Good for you. If you don't watch the news, you can believe that very strongly. Uh, And it's true. So if we can't have abundant life now and everlasting life, who's ever going to get it? We're privileged. We have opportunities. So we can believe to win on both fronts. And again, there are exceptions. This isn't a universal thing. Everlasting life is universal for all who believe. There are martyrs. These things are real. But generally speaking, God's people will be coming up and living abundant life today. And we see that in John 10.10. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying, There is one who steals, kills, and destroys, but that's not me. I'm the one who brings life and life more abundantly. That's recap. Now let's get on to part two. The devil's schemes and lies we believe. Let's pray. And let's believe to see the enemy that we fight. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for each person that's here right now. And Lord, I pray that you would give us 
just a God moment, a holy moment, where we're able to be aware of the enemy that we fight and be clear about the schemes of the devil. Lord, we're all in different situations, dealing with different things, and so we need to understand this in different ways. And Father, I pray by your Spirit that you would help each one of us to see the truth of our personal situation. Lord, just by your Spirit, quicken us to be able to see that. And bless our time now as a group as we go through some examples of this. Help us to to have something good happen. So bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. To win on both fronts, the everlasting life and the abundant life fronts, to win on both fronts, we need to know our enemy. And we fight the same enemy on both fronts. And our enemy is the devil. Now, I'm going to assume that you believe the devil is real because probably the biggest scheme of the devil is to get you to think he's not real, he's just a personification of evil or that sort of a thing, and then you, you don't defend yourself and you're in a world of hurt. So we're going to assume uh, the devil is real, that the scriptural, many, many, many scriptural accounts of Satan's activities are things that we believe are true. And so we're, we're going to start with that assumption, and I'm not going to argue for it, but just believe the scriptures for that. So the one who comes, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the devil, and we need to understand his schemes and what he's about. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. And as we go through this, understand, we're just getting a, basically a cursory uh, exposure to this. We're going to look at a few dynamics. There's a whole lot more to it. But 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So your enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion prowls around, seeking someone to devour. Now, what's the good news in that the devil is seeking someone to devour? The good news is he doesn't get to devour everybody. He's got to seek. He's got to look for openings. He's got to look for opportunities. And so there are the people he may devour, and there are the people he may not devour. Let's be the ones he may not devour. Amen? How do you get to be the ones that he may not devour? Is you have to resist him. You have to know what he's up to, see through his schemes, resist the devil by faith. Put that verse 9 back up there. Let's look at that. Is that, is it verse 9? Yes, there we go. 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith. So how do we resist the devil? We stand firm in the faith. And so we can resist, we can be the ones he may not devour. We want to believe that. Now, I'm going to fly through these examples. So you're going to have to listen fast. Because otherwise we'll be here past kickoff and that would be a disaster. So. All right. (laughs) I love you, Kay. We're going to look at six case studies of situations where we see the devil's schemes recorded in Scripture, and we're going to look at what that scheme is. And uh, 
We've got sermon notes out on the table out there. If, you, if it goes by too fast, just grab some of that. You can also listen to the recording and, and uh, if, if it goes by too fast. But I'm just going to fly through it so that uh, we can cover enough material for everybody to understand there are lots of different schemes and we need to be aware that we have an enemy that's trying to trick us. So, case study number one, the temptation of Jesus. So, Jesus was tempted by the devil. After Jesus was baptized by John, we get Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Hmm. So, after Jesus was baptized, he was led by who? The Holy Spirit, led by God, to where? The desert. For what purpose? To be tempted by the devil. Okay, real super. I was thinking when I read that and was just kind of, you know, just spending some time with Matthew 4.1, I was thinking I should warn people about this a little bit more. Because the reality is when we walk into a relationship with the Lord and we say we're in, then we engage the battle. And I remember uh, one of the, it was one of the youth group kids, I think, on youth group worship playing one of the instruments and one of the things I need to tell the people on worship teams is when they're new, they don't realize there's a spiritual battle that happens during the song service. And people who are playing an instrument can get this sense of dread like they're about to die. And it happens almost all the time to almost everybody. And they're just like this dark oppression, like, ah, happens to them. And if I don't warn them, they think something is seriously wrong with them. And so I have to remember, warn them about that. Uh, But the one was, my middle kid did that. He's playing something up in the front, and he's just like, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you about that. Uh, (laughs) That's normal. You're fine. Uh, But the reality is, is that we have an enemy. And God could bind Satan right now if he wanted to. But we're placed in this world to do battle and the enemy is left here for us to fight. And so we are in the middle of this battle. We don't get to pick whether or not we're in the battle. We just are. And God will put us in front of the enemy to see what we're made of. And we can fall down and get back up stronger Or we can succumb to these schemes. I'll tell jokes periodically to lighten the mood. (laughs) Because it's some scary stuff. But we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 3. So Jesus is out in the desert. He fasts for 40 days. I don't know if the enemy came by periodically throughout those 40 days, but at the end of it, he definitely showed up. And that's recorded here uh, in chapter 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. So the temptation here is to, to tempt with a physical need 
at a time of weakness. Jesus is not strong. He didn't just eat. And then Satan says, how about making some bread? You know, he wouldn't care. This temptation comes in the time of weakness. Jesus was weakened by 40 days of fasting and Satan tempts him with bread. Is it a sin to eat bread? Not at all. In this situation, Jesus was fasting. He was preparing himself for his ministry and he was dedicating this time to his father and his own spiritual growth and so he needed to fast. So this temptation was to take him off of God's plan. Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus thwarts the temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that your foot will not strike against the stone. So he's saying... Throw yourself down. Prove it. Using scripture to appeal to pride. Prove who you are. I don't believe you're who you are. Of course, Satan knew. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So he thwarts that temptation of using scripture to appeal to pride. The last temptation that we see, uh, appeal to possessions and power. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. He's lying. He wouldn't give that to Jesus. He's just trying to fool him. A lot of times the devil will tempt you with something that you can't even have. It's a lie. This will make you popular. Yeah, it'll take you to jail. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first scheme is to tempt us to sin and specifically to tempt us to sin at our weakest moment. Because Satan is mean that way. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't make an appointment. Well, next Thursday at noon, why don't we have it out and I'll do some tempting. You know, he just waits and looks. Ah, this bad thing happened. That bad thing happened. Easy button time. Boom. Temptation in our weakness. That's a scheme of the devil. Case study number two. Eve of Adam and Eve fame. Eve. I'm looking forward to meeting Adam and Eve. I think they've got to be fantastic, fantastic people. But Eve was created in a very simple world. And she, at this point, hadn't eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what was her understanding? And the devil comes to deceive her in her naive state. Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. 
Now, as we continue that story, the serpent convinces her to eat the fruit. Adam is there watching to see if anything bad happens to her. She seems okay, so he eats some of the fruit too. And uh, then that's the fall of man. And so the temptation here, or I'm sorry, the scheme here is to deceive or to fool us into straying away from God's plan and specifically to deceive those who are naive. Eve was naive and it gave Satan an opportunity to deceive her. So just because you're innocent and naive does not mean the devil won't lie to you because he will because he likes to hurt innocent, naive people. So he deceived Eve, took her off of God's plan, and we had sin enter the world for the first time. First scheme to tempt us to sin in our weak moments. Second scheme to deceive us into straying from God and to deceive us when we're naive. Case study number three, Job. Job. Let's go to Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? So God and Satan are having a conversation. Apparently this happens fairly regularly. I don't, I don't understand it, but you see it in the scriptures. Uh, you know, the angels are up hanging out with God and Satan's there too. And so they have a conversation. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So this is God giving a testimony about the character of Job, saying he is blameless, that he is upright, fears God and shuns evil. Look at how awesome Job is. And Satan has a plan for Job. Verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. So what Satan is saying to God is, of course Job loves you. His life is going perfect. But I tell you what, if you let me mess up his life, he will hate you. So Satan's plan is to hurt Job and get Job to hate God. Verse 11. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And there's even deception in here. Because is God going to stretch out his hand and hurt Job? No. Satan is going to stretch out his hand and hurt Job and try to get Job to think it's God so that Job hates God. That's what he says. And surely he will curse you to your face. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. We're put here to be in a battle and God will set us in front of an enemy and we get to go to war. We will not be protected from that. We will be equipped to win. Very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he attacked Job and those Job loved, and he attacked his finances, 
and he brought destruction upon him. And here is the scheme. The scheme is Satan will hurt you to get you to be mad at God. So remember John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you see stealing, killing, and destroying going on in your life or the lives of your loved ones, where is that coming from? The thief, the enemy, the devil. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. So when something bad happens, should we get mad at God? No, we should get mad at the devil. Because he's the one who brings destruction. Amen? So if Satan hurts you, don't get mad at God. Case study number four. Legion. See, this is some heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. But we need to know it. Because we have to be able to defend ourselves. If we're going to win, we need to know we have these battles. The jo- these are all important. But this one is, is huge. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now this is a very, very significant understatement. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Verse 3. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this guy is in a world of hurt. If you know the story, Jesus kind of talks to him for a while, asks the demon what its name is, and he says, I am legion, for we are many. And then Jesus casts the demons out into this herd of pigs, and 2,000 pigs immediately kill themselves. They rush off a steep bank and drown themselves in the water. It was enough spiritual evil and internal conflict to create 2,000 pig suicides. And this guy is living with this internal vexation from the enemy. And what's happening is he is hurting himself. He's cutting himself with stones. He's so internally tormented that he damages himself. He must have been a strong guy to be able to function at all with that much evil coming on him. But here's the scheme. It's for Satan to torture your spirit in order to get you to hurt yourself. And of course, you know, this guy was a cutter. 2,000 years ago. That's no new thing. The pigs all committed suicide. All because of the internal torment that the enemy was bringing to get them to hurt themselves. And so we need to be aware when this internal torment hits us, don't hurt yourself. Resist the devil and he will flee. Stand firm in the faith. Don't let him fool you into you hurting yourself. 
Case study number five, Peter's fear. Peter was a great disciple, a great apostle, and he was a strong guy. Let's look at Luke 22, 31, uh, starting in verse 31. Jesus says this to Simon Peter. This is Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Do you remember Job? Very similar situation here. So apparently in the New Testament, this is still going on. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I didn't know Satan got to ask those things. But apparently he does. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now we do have an enemy, but we also have an advocate. Amen? And he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is on our side, and he prayed for Peter, and he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knew he, that Peter would deny him three times. Peter didn't know it. He replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Was Peter ready to go with Jesus to prison and to death. He was ready to die for Christ, but he wasn't ready to live for Christ. He took the sword out. He whacked Malchus in the head. He's going to chop, chop his head in half, cuts off his ear. Remember that? He's running into the mob with a sword ready to die in battle. Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Peter, this isn't what we're here for. You put the sword away, and Jesus heals the guy's ear, and now Peter is thrown off. He's like, he's all adrenalined up and ready to go fight. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not what we're going to do. And he gets confused. Well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. And there's this, all this chaos. And he doesn't have time to sort it out. And so, people ask him, are you with Jesus? He's like, I, I don't know. No, no. What are you saying? Are you with Jesus? No. And he's thrown off and confused. And this is in the foothold category of the devil's schemes where the devil gets a foothold and exploits an emotion or a situation that we have in us and then pushes us away from God through that. And so then Peter denies the Lord because Satan plays on his fear. And that confusion opened the door for fear. Peter was gripped And Satan, who had asked to sift him as wheat, exploits that and causes that fear to turn to denial. To push Peter away from God. Satan plays on your fears to shake your faith in God. That's scheme number five. So, so far, we've had Satan's scheme of tempting us in our weakness deceiving us as we are naive, hurting us and those we love to get us to hate God, torturing us on the inside to get us to hurt ourselves, exploiting our fears to shake our faith in God, and case study number six, Judas's betrayal. If you remember Judas, one of the 12, he was the one who betrayed Jesus, who sold him out. This happened after uh, a lady came and poured some expensive perfume on Jesus. 
And the disciples were upset about it. They're described as being indignant. And indignant basically means to be all upset about something you, you believe is unjust or unfair. And so they think that it's a complete waste to pour perfume on Jesus. Why would you waste all that good smelling stuff on this stupid preacher? And so they're upset about it and indignant about it. It's a waste. And so Judas is so mad that Satan is able to get him to betray Jesus for money. Luke 22, 3 and 4. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So this scheme is to exploit that indignation. And basically it's this. Satan plays on jealousy or feelings of indignation or unfairness to get Christians to take out their spoiled leaders. Satan plays on Christians to get them to take out their leaders. In this case, it was Judas taking out Jesus. Oftentimes, you know, pastors have to defend themselves against their congregation. You guys are awesome. It's it's been a very pleasant experience so far. Hallelujah for that. But the devil will try to get people to take out the leaders. And through, he doesn't deserve that, he shouldn't have that, those sorts of things are one of the main ways to get people to take out the leaders. Because if we don't have leaders, the enemy will win. We'll talk more about that in week seven, I think. It's a lot of schemes. We're just scratching the surface. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole lot more. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we aren't just alone and have to somehow have me actually say the exact thing that's going on in your life. It may not work that way. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up and we're going to pray. So prayer teams come forward and we haven't touched on the lies that we believe yet. So I build this as the devil's schemes and lies we believe. And so now we're going to deal with the lies we believe. But I want to read a couple of scriptures first so that we can make sure that we are on the winning team. Because when the risk you have when you're preaching on the devil's schemes is that people will start to believe in the devil more than they believe in Jesus. You know, you understand what I'm saying? They'll be like, scared of the devil more than they are standing in faith in Christ. And that's a disaster. We must stand by faith, not in fear. And so, let's look at James 4, 7, which says, Submit yourselves then to God, very important. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you know you can resist the devil and make him flee? The devil that attacked Job. The devil that tortured that guy with the legion of demons. The devil that exploited the confusion and fear of Peter. You can make him flee. Our God will soon crush Satan under our feet. 
And this is a good day for John 3.16. You got to save that one for some days where you need some encouragement. So let's read John 3.16 too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. Are you a whoever? Do you fit in the category of whoever? Amen. So whoever believes in him shall not perish. So are you one of those whoever who shall not perish? Amen. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. We stand on a firm foundation. Even though we talk about the onslaughts of the enemy, we stand on a firm foundation. So do not be afraid. Be filled with faith. Smart enough to know that we have an enemy. But strong enough to know we can win. Let's pray. I'm going to read a a list of lies. I asked some of my pastor friends, hey, if you've got some lies people believe and some Satan schemes, you know, shoot me an email. And so I compiled kind of a list. But as I read the list, I want to pray that, that God will show you lies that you believe to expose the lies so that we can conquer the scheme. Because we, I've believed lies I'm sure I don't fully understand everything now. I want to know the truth more so that I'm more free, so that I'm more able to fight the enemy. I don't want to be stuck in my deception. So let's pray and ask God to reveal things to us. And as we do that, I'll read this list, but ask God to show you what lies are you believing. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the bringer of truth, that your spirit guides us into all truth. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we don't want to believe lies. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to uh, be at the whim of the enemy. We want to be able to resist and make him flee. So show us, Lord, the lies we believe. And, Lord... Help us to be free from these lies, from this list. God will only love me if I produce or if I fix this thing that's wrong with me first. Or, you know, he probably will never love me anyway. I can think my way up to God. We can earn our way to heaven. God doesn't care about the little things. More lies. I must fight evil with evil and take matters into my own hands. I'm not good enough to serve God. I'm wasting my time with God. It's pointless and no one cares anyway. It's okay to lower your shield of faith just for a little bit. Nothing will happen. Jesus has done it all, so I don't need to do anything. God can wait. I've got more important things to deal with right now. A little sin never hurt anyone. Besides, no one will ever find out. I'm too late and too far gone to cry out to God now. 
Compromise is the only way to succeed. No one could ever love me, not even Jesus. I can't get through this. There's no way out. And I'm alone and no one understands. Father, thank you that we are not alone. Lord, help us to be the family you've called us to be so that we have a hundredfold return of brothers and sisters. Lord, so that we don't walk alone through the trials and difficulties of life. Lord, but that we stand together. Father, help us to see the enemy's schemes. Help us to not be deceived. We love your truth. Build it in us more and more, stronger and stronger, that we can see and believe and resist and win. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be in us and your strength would be with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.